Thank you for joining us for Revive the Drive, a ministry of the Bethany Fellowship of Churches. We live in a world where time is a precious commodity. One of the avenues for reviving our souls is the necessary commute to and from the many places our schedules take us. As the wheels of the car begin to turn, join our panel and set the wheels of your mind in motion as you consider the significance and impact of theology on everyday life. Let's listen in as our pastors talk theology. Welcome again to Revive the Drive, where we are going to discuss this topic, uh, this session, the topic of church discipline. Men, not long ago, I was helping a dear friend move his household, and he was joined in that endeavor by a couple of work friends uh, who were not uh, believers. And when they found out I was a pastor, they began to launch into all of these horror stories that they had heard about some local churches who had enacted church discipline upon some of their members. And uh, they, equ- they equated that church discipline to uh, an act that uh, sort of uh, is known as shunning. Mm. And it broke my heart not only for uh, what church discipline is truly intended to, to accomplish, but also for uh, the picture of the church that would enact church discipline. Mm. Church discipline is um, known by those who really understand the scriptures as a mark of a biblical church. And so let's talk this session about the purpose of church discipline, how it is to be conducted, and, uh, and why it is actually the most loving thing that a church can do to one of their sinning members. Mm. Art, those are really good topics to cover in this. And I think we have to acknowledge at the outset that the church churches don't always practice church discipline well. I and mean, first of all, you have a lot of churches that just refuse to practice it at all. And then among churches that do, sometimes you have churches that don't practice it well. They practice it under the wrong circumstances. They have the wrong goals as they practice church discipline. In fact, even the phrase church discipline, you have to really nuance what you mean by by discipline. It doesn't mean punishment. It means the the desire to help a person grow and to to discipline with the goal of, of restoration. Galatians 6 describes the circumstance. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Mm. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Matthew, 9, Matthew 18 also describes the, the process of church discipline. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. And so the circumstances here are not an annoyance with a brother, not a power struggle with a brother, not a circumstance in which your brother is just really doing something you don't like. It's if a and it's not if an unbeliever is doing something you don't like, or a person that's not a part of your church is doing something you don't like. It's if someone you consider your brother in Christ is engaging in, in a sinful activity against you or others, that's the time at which to approach. Those are the circumstances as I see them. Do you guys have any other thoughts about the circumstances in which church discipline is begun? And certainly you don't want it to be based on hearsay. You know, mm-hmm. Galatians 6 passage, if, if you're caught in a sin, uh, that, that uh, it's acknowledged by all parties. You, you don't want to go into a circumstance of, church discipline where there is confusion or lack of clarity on the specific actions or behaviors that 
are involved that are displeasing, displeasing to God. You know, I, I think it's hard to discipline for the sake of an attitude, even though attitudes might be sinful, because of that very reason that it's hard to absolutely prove an attitude without having corresponding words or actions, some external form that they take that are in disobedience to God. Yeah. And that sin is that not... That saved me many a time, by the way, at Bethany Baptist. Right, that's right. <laughs> hey, Rich, that's you right. can't discipline me for an attitude. That's right. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I think your point is is uh, well received in that this is the most loving thing that we can do for one another. Hmm. Um, and that uh, that it, it, it it's not to be uh, something that's really highly unusual. In other words, how often are we caught in a sin? Um, you know, it doesn't have to be something as grave as we often think of adultery or some sexual morality before church discipline sets in. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if, if uh, one of you would find me talking about another person, gossiping, mm-hmm. for you to say, hey, Rich, you know, that, that's gossip, I say, well, thanks for uh, pointing that to me. I was wrong for that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's church discipline. That, right. that is what we're talking about. And it should be sort of a normal part of our, our life. It's, it's, a, it's a part of discipleship. And that really, Rich, what you're getting into is the practice of church discipline. How do we practice church discipline? Well, really, we're practicing church discipline, church discipleship, on a weekly, at least a weekly basis, if not a daily basis, uh, having other people have the freedom to speak into our lives, holding ourselves accountable, uh, allowing other people to hold us accountable, and and confronting other members in the church whenever we see some things in their life that we know are not, are not for their joy or, or God's glory. Yeah, and why, why do you suppose that so many people think that this process or that this uh, commitment regarding church discipline is unloving and therefore just off the table from the beginning? Part of it's because we live in such a tolerant society or a tolerance-loving society, and we tout tolerance, which uh, oftentimes, in in uh, with comparison to biblical Christianity, is really is intolerant to biblical Christianity. But uh, folks don't really like to be uh, um, chastised for wrongdoing, and. Uh, and and it's it's because we're prideful at our core, and so we have to humble ourselves and and give ourselves to one another in that accountability relationship. And that's not an easy thing to do, but it's a growing uh, act that we can engage in. And that goes again. We're, we're thinking of the practice here. That understanding of of the practice of church discipline is influenced by what we believe the purpose of church discipline mm-hmm. is. And sometimes we think the purpose of church discipline is to remove a person from membership. The, practice, the, the purpose of church discipline is to really uh, show someone how wrong they are. Matthew 18 kind of unites the, the purpose and the, the practice of church discipline. Verse 15, Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've, you've gained your brother. In other words, your, your purpose has been accomplished. And so that first aspect of the, pro, of the practice, the process, is to approach your brother and say, hey, this is the fault that I, I believe I, I see in you. And, Rich, you talked about the importance of it not being hearsay. Hey, help me understand. Am I wrong here? Am I misunderstanding what I, th- I think I've seen? Uh, are there some scriptural uh, passages I haven't thought about in, in relationship to your action? But that's, that's the first step. 
Yeah. And in order to be motivated to uh, take that first step with a brother, there I think two things required. First, as uh, Art, you've mentioned tolerance, which is a, which is a warped view of righteousness, you know, of God's righteousness. But also, uh, not only do we have to have uh, a view of righteousness that's in line with God's truth, but also a view of God's love. Mm. You know that um, that love is not affirming another person's actions or trying to help them feel emotionally uh, affirmed. Uh, and oftentimes that's the way we de- define whether we've loved a person is after our conversation, does that p- person feel like we have emotionally affirmed them? <laughs> and if they haven't, then we, some, we, you know, we kind of get the sense that we really haven't loved them, I mm-hmm. guess, because they don't feel loved. Right. You know, but really love is defined in, in uh, throughout uh, the scripture as being more in reference to God as as desiring the person's best, which is a vital union or connection with the living God. And once we understand that, the most loving thing we can do is to help that person mm-hmm. uh, become blessed by God. Then we realize I have to talk to them about their sin because that's what's going to keep them not only now in time, but for all of eternity missing the, an aspect of God's blessing that otherwise could be their joy. And so our motivation, again, mm-hmm. is truly in church discipline, not irritation, not frustration, not impatience, mm-hmm. but it really is a love which is a design for God's blessing upon another person. So we go to a person and we say, hey, this is a sin based on God's word that I, that, um, I potentially see in your life. Can you help me understand and say a, a person, ideally, what happens is, is a person says uh, either yes, that is true, and you know help me turn from this again to Galatians, or says no. Here's one thing you haven't understood, and helps us understand mm-hmm. that oh, it, it wasn't a sinful action. We, we just misunderstood something that happened. But sometimes, unfortunately, that's not what happens. Which brings us to the next part of Matthew 19. Uh, Jesus says, but if he does not listen, in verse 16, he says, but if he does not listen. Take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And so here in Matthew 18, we see that there are some circumstances in which you have to take other people to to confirm in a person's mind, hey, this is not the right way to live. And how long does that process take? What what are the steps in taking the two or three witnesses? Is it, is it one time you knock on their door, you, you surprise them, and you start the stopwatch and say, "Look, we're uh, we're on step two here of church discipline, and you've got five minutes to repent. Go." Uh, what does it look like? Exactly. That's okay. exactly pretty much because that's what we've been doing. <laughs> I just wanted confirmation that was correct. No, uh, we we want to uh, we want to be able to give visible testimony to the patience of God, hmm. and so we're not driven again by irritation or frustration. But we're driven by uh, God's glory, and that that is a hard aspect about uh, how to discern, and because it requires us to be able in our communication to to discern: is this person rooting themselves more firmly into their sin, mm-hmm. or are they beginning to listen to the church and beginning to respond? And I, you know, uh, uh, the way that I would apply that would be if if I see a person beginning to respond, however slowly. Mm-hmm. If they're continuing to listen, continue to engage, continuing to begin to take little baby steps, yeah. then I'm going to say, let, let me wait you know, before we take that yeah. next step. 
Yeah, and as long as the goal is, is loving restoration, then that will motivate the patience behind it. Because the, the next step begins when a person doesn't listen, doesn't listen. And so if a person is showing indications of listening, that's whenever yeah. you don't proceed on. In fact, it's interesting. One time I was talking to a person about some sin in their lives, and, and they and they said, is, is this step two of church discipline? I said, well, no, it's not. I don't have a chart on me. <laughs> what we're talking about is, is the, the state of your soul. And the interesting thing there is that it, it did frighten him, which is a good thing. You know, the, there was this fear of, man, I, I don't want to be separated from the, the body of, of Christ, mm-hmm. which leads us into the last phase of church discipline that Jesus describes in Matthew 18. It says, if he re- verse 17 says, if, if he refuses to listen to them, he, uh, tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That, at that part, when he's been removed from fellowship, I believe what Jesus is saying here is now he's not a part of the body in the same way that, that other brothers and sisters are, and now your witness, your relationship to him becomes a gospel witness relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, treat someone as an unbeliever. Part of that is we no longer can affirm with you the protection of God upon your soul, that, that, that you have genuine, authentic faith that has connected you to saving grace. And that's one aspect of the church that it's it's uh, it's to help bring assurance of the testimony of God's people about our relationship with God. And so when when this final step is taken, the church has withdrawn. Says we can no longer affirm to you that we believe on the basis of an observation of your life that you are born again. That's a sobering statement to make. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say we know that you're not, but we say, we can say we no longer can affirm with you mm-hmm. that you are. There's no confidence based right. upon your refusal to listen to the body that, that the Spirit of God is living within yeah. within you. That's and there, that there's a big difference between living faith and dead faith, and dead faith doesn't save, as James says. Mm-hmm. And, and all that we're seeing right now is a dead faith, and so we can't affirm that there's living faith that connects you to living God. Yeah. Bears reminding, however, that uh, Jesus pursued the Gentiles and the tax collectors, mm. uh, and so we want to remind ourselves that we ought to be about pursuing those that we have no uh, certainty of their uh, eternal uh, salvation. Um, we've focused primarily on the restoration of the one who is sinning, but we ought not to ignore the fact that church discipline is also for the purpose of, uh, of keeping the body of Christ pure. Now, that's discussed in 1 Corinthians 5, where there was uh, egregious sin within the body of Christ. And so that person who, uh, was put out of the body so that the body would remain pure. And that's another reason that the listener wants to remember that church discipline is so important, because we as Christ's body are called to be pure, we're to be called to, to be set apart from the world that we live in. And so uh, we've just scratched the surface on this, but uh, hopefully it helps you to understand that church discipline is actually uh, conducted when we love others and when we love God and want to see his body function the way that he has commanded us to. Thanks for joining us, and we'll look forward to being with you again in Revive the Drive.